0: of hockey, and especially the Tampa Bay Lightning, hosted by Mike Gallimore. All right, joining me tonight is Sean Tierney, uh, who, well, many of you probably know from uh, the charts, right, Sean? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, for a long time. Uh Made quite a name for yourself, but you're just churning them out, man. They all sorts of good stuff, you know. But uh, it's turned into something uh, fantastic on your end, hasn't it? I believe you announced recently you've joined uh, an OHL club. That's right. Yeah. So uh,
1: I've been working with the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL for a couple of years, but we uh, we formalized it and announced everything, so that's out there. And going to continue to be able to do my NHL stuff publicly, so you'll still have your timelines flooded with my <laughs> daily barrage of charts, but uh, anything to say about prospects is going to be uh, quiet for me going forward, which is, it's really nice. It's a mixed blessing, but I'm excited to make it official
0: too. Rumor has it there, well, I think you kind of uh, hit it strongly at this, that you're also, uh, you have a website, a new website in the works. That's
1: right. So uh, about a week and a half off of being launched, but working with someone to, launch a proper home for all my viz. Anybody who's ever uh, used some of my charts, if you go to my Tableau page, uh, it's a little unwieldy. It's not what I would like it to be for people to go around and find exactly what they're looking for, you know, kind of at a, at a glance. So there'll be a website coming soon and uh, it'll make it a lot easier to, to get to all the daily stuff that I'm doing and uh, give me a chance to sort of create and promote some new things too. So lots of exciting stuff coming up.
0: Absolutely, anything to make it that much more accessible exactly exactly that's the key I uh, was also eager to talk with you uh, not just about those exciting developments but uh, you know I know you're from the Ottawa area and uh, you you keep pretty close tabs on what's happening with the local team um, so I wanted to talk about the senators the Ottawa senators who' man it's been a well it's been a rough few years here hasn't it Yeah, I mean, it's a team that, whether they
1: deserve to or not, a couple of seasons ago went on that long playoff run, and they kind of had some really exciting pieces in place, and Carlson was king of the city and king of the surrounding area, and everything just went right that season, and it was kind of a moment when, you know, the Penguins moved past, and ever since then, it's just been kind of this cascade of worst-case scenario after worst-case scenario, so whether or not that corner has turned to something for us to kind of pull apart as we talk here. But it's certainly been, it's been strange to be in Senator's territory fan or otherwise over the past couple of seasons.
0: Couldn't obviously help, but uh, over the past couple of years, uh, get a sense that there's a very tenuous, I'm struggling even with the right word, but Eugene Melnick, the owner uh, has, has made a lot of headlines and often, not for the right reasons
1: yeah so you know for send stands in the area and you know being older than the the senator's team myself it's not the team I was raised on but they're in my backyard and so you know they're the kind of team that um you hear lots about and all the young people in the area have always known the Sens and have been send stands it sort of had this weird effect with Melnick being maybe the most publicly embarrassing you know to some extent owner that there is just oh, yeah. in the NHL certainly out there and he's not out there for the right reasons. And, you know, whether it's sort of money trouble or being attached to gambling debts or whatever the stories are, there's lots of, uh, you know, the kind of negative buzz that you don't want around your team. But the the sort of interesting side effect of that, and for anyone who follows SEM's Twitter, is that the fan base has really seemed to come together. Uh, It's sort of in opposition to what that's become at the ownership level. And so, you know, some of the, the great senators followers that are out there they're kind of united in this front against the owner and Melnick out became kind of a tipping point for the community over the past year or so. And, and so although the Melnick thing is a bit of an issue at the top, it's had this really sort of interestingly positive in a way effect on, on fandom in the area where all the fans have kind of banded together and support the team. And, you know, the bad decisions that have led to some of the stars wanting out and leaving the team doesn't see that as real or the fans don't see that as reflecting on the team they love. They see it as a problem just with the owner. And so, whether or not that's a situation that changes depending on how things go for Melnick over the next few months with airplanes to pay for and all that sort of thing, I don't know. But uh, yeah, the the side effect is that I think the fans are really united
0: in their support of the team, which can be a positive. Fans of the Lightning are not certainly not uh, unfamiliar with awkward. Ownership situations, you know, dating <laughs> back to the uh, early days of the franchise, uh, where we had this mystery Japanese group, uh, Kokosai Green, um, reported mobsters. The uh, about a decade ago, when we were dealing with this very uh, uh, well uh, chaotic situation with these uh, joint owners, the OK Hockey Group, um, mm-hmm. that became its own little uh, mess. The league had to clean up, and thankfully, we have a new owner in place, but. We, you know i think we can sympathize with this uh what's playing out another aspect of this is you know the two clubs I, I think of ottawa i remember being very young but the two clubs came into the league at the same time the lightning and the senators so there's a little bit of another element to it you know you want to see this sister team so to speak uh you know, at least be competitive right
1: yeah and I, the overlap there is really interesting to think of you know how they came in together and the messes that they've kind of shared in some ways and you know, the, the Lightning come into the season as, uh, you know, the, the team to beat and, and way ahead in standing projections by most accounts. And the Senators are kind of at the complete opposite end. So it's a real uh, whatever dovetail or something that these two teams have found themselves so far apart at this moment in time. But there's definitely kind of that, that link that draws draws the two communities together in a way. So, you know, for sense fans to think maybe in a few years you wind up on that Tampa Bay Lightning path is uh, encouraging. You know, maybe you get there.
0: I wanted to uh, uh, kind of transition to a little bit of retrospection here, uh, especially, again, another, kind of another tie. We have Guy Boucher rejoined uh, the NHL a few seasons ago. I think he came over from the Swiss league. I, I could be uh, wrong in my memory here, but um, after leaving the club, he was over in Europe for a few years and then he uh, took the helm uh, in Ottawa. And, and so I just, you know, I know he had many critics by the time he departed Tampa. I know that he had critics by the time he departed Ottawa. But I, in a way, I kind of feel like that situation, again, going back to the ownership, it seemed like there were other factors at play too. I mean, should we pin this all at Guy Boucher's feet?
1: No, I think, you know, as you kind of allude to, there's always an ownership element. And this roster between, you know, Dorian and, and uh, ownership was kind of pulled apart. And that's not all on Boucher. He was working kind of with the roster that he was left with. And that was a roster left with fewer and fewer pieces as management kind of disassembled for whatever their reasons were. But I I saw a great quote, and I wish I had the attribution for it at the moment, but it was talking about coaching and the idea that the best coaches across sports are not ones that bring their system to bear on a team, but ones that see what they have and create a system that works for the talent that they have in place. And I think that maybe that that kind of speaks to the Boucher experience a little bit, where he was a coach who had a lot of ideas about how people were going to operate in his system, kind of a systems based personality, you know, something we saw maybe a bit in in his time with Tampa as well. Mm -hmm. But a guy who came in who had a real defined sense of how the, the team was going to play regardless maybe of what the roster had to bear and so that's a grinding way and by the time he left it was a real in the community a feeling of like a deep sigh of uh of relief to just sort of get out from you know something that was structured in a way that just wasn't working for the what piece of the roster did have and so i don't pin this all on him of course i think the roster issues go higher than him But there's a certain rigidity to the processes that he had that just didn't suit the roster anymore. And I think even just watching Crawford steer the team for the last stretch of last season, it was just a little bit more fun to watch the Senators play because it just wasn't the same rigidity maybe anymore. So uh, ultimately, I think is Boucher the kind of person who could be successful again in the right spot for sure. But you love to see a coach that sees the pieces that they have and works with those pieces rather than. You know they've got a personality and a system that works, and you're going to fit into it or else. And I think that kind of that was the the death knell in Ottawa for him eventually.
0: Let's let's talk about the GM then, yeah, Pierre Dorian, who was here for all of this. And uh, I, you know, I I talked about the roster kind of slowly being dismantled, and just I'm just trying to walk through the obvious ones. Uh, I believe you know Mike Hoffman uh, leaves the the roster. Uh, Eric Carlson. Uh, and then Matt Duchesne, obviously the uh, uh, that acquisition that kind of ultimately kind of blew up in the team's face with the uh, uh, the draft pick they ended up having to concede and then uh, and then Mark stone I mean this is just like that's that's a lot of talent pulled out of the, uh, the lineup whoever's behind the bench I, that's hard to contend with but Pierre Dorian uh, I, I also kind of sympathize in a way with him I, again I, I, I'm sure there's things you could pinpoint say you know missteps or whatever but at the same time again it's kind of like you know there's this specter hovering over the organization with the owner there right
1: and so you get this strange thing anytime you're talking about senators transactions where you evaluate the players and the pieces and the picks and we can do that with all the carlson and hoffmans and stones and duchesnes and we can do that um and it makes sense to do that but Ultimately there's always this undercurrent of was Melnick there? Was Melnick involved? Did Melnick say, We're cutting this salary, we're getting cheaper, you're getting this roster that works for me from a financial point first and a talent point second? And so Dorian's one who takes his punches in social media and you know, there's the we or team kind of quotes and memes that are out there with him. But, you know, I, I do think it is fair to say how, what were the kinds of restrictions he was working with when yeah. he was making these deals? And so, okay, so put that qualifier there, have that caveat in place. I think it's still fair when you're saying, you know, okay, you need to trademark Stone because we're not paying that next contract for him. It's not going to happen. We can still say Dorian had a, you know, top 10 NHL talent, the kind of player who's, you know, by war and by all sorts of advanced stats. Is, um, one of the best players, you know, going in the league in an all-around kind of way, did he get enough value from that player? We can say, you know, Melnick was at play to say, you've got to make the move in the first place. But as Branstrom, Lindstrom, uh, Lindbergh in a second rounder? Do we feel like that's enough? Even with, you know, a gun to Dorian's head that you has got to make the deal. Did he get enough for Carlson and the pieces that they cobbled together there? And I think, you know, even if you allow that Melnick may have said, make the deal. Dorian's still on the hook for the the pieces that come back. And I think, you know, by and large, it's been a disappointing return considering the kind of core that was here and now is gone. It doesn't mean there aren't some exciting young pieces in place, like a Branstrom type is going to be a good player in this league, it looks like. But is it enough to get him a plugger and a second rounder for Mark Stone, who's maybe a top 10 player? So in the end, I think Dorian's record, you get a little bit of safety from the fact you can always say Melnick made him do it. But ultimately, the pieces he brought back in trading these huge stars hasn't been enough, and so his record is isn't
0: shining here either. Well, if you are finding yourself with uh, uh, constrained, right, and, and, and additionally if you're also missing the mark uh, in evaluations and whatnot, it, it gets hard to, to turn the corner, you know. And I thinking about the off season, you know, I look at some of the trades. Uh, Certainly, a lot of people on Twitter, hockey Twitter, scratching their head. Perhaps with uh, the Cody Cody Cece trade uh, for Nikita Zaitsev. You know, I I think you can perhaps argue there. Maybe they're looking for some cost certainty there for a number of years. Zach Smith uh, is moved, I believe, for Artem Anisimov, and then the the, bringing in Ron Hainsey. Uh, I imagine for the for the fan base up there, I imagine these deals are underwhelming a little bit. But at the same time, I mean. What else is he really going to be able to pull off?
1: Sure. And again, I think it's, you get into this funny situation when you're evaluating Dorian where you say, you know, what was he working with and then what was he able to do given those constraints? Uh, And and so it's fair, but, you know, do you want Nikita Zaitsev to get that cost certainty? Is that fair? Is that uh, a trade off you're willing to make to get that, you know, defenseman locked in? I think it still represents. Poor talent evaluation to get yourself locked into cost certainty with a player like that. Even if Cody CC isn't worse, isn't better. Maybe they're just kind of Spider-Man pointing at, pointing at Spider-Man JPEG, you know, like it, it, they're not so different, but it's just the kind of player you want to get yourself locked into for a long-term deal. At least we're super happy to do the Cody CC one-year bonanza <laughs> just, just to get out of the the term that Lamarillo had left for, for Zyceps. Ron Hainsey's the same thing, you know, where you're, you're just wondering the new head coach in place was he saying, these are a couple of my defensive stalwarts, bring them over from the Leafs, they're guys I can really lean on, but there isn't any evidence, especially at Ron Hainsey's age, that that's something we should expect, you know, and when he left Carolina, Hainsey had posted some really positive war scores in a system that was working when he was three years younger than he's going to be uh, as this season goes on, but you know, he's at an age where that cliff happens quickly, it's probably already happened. And so are these guys you want to get married to with a a rebuilding roster that maybe should be featuring its youth in as many spots as they can. The Connor Brown is another one. Again, another Leafs retread. He's going to have Mm -hmm. time in this roster too. And and I think, you know, even if he has a 20-goal season, what was the value of playing one of the young players in his role rather than letting him soak up those minutes when he's, you know, basically shown himself what his peak form is? Um, and so it, it's kind of a clunky roster that's filled with some real old retread leaf veterans who have, you know, nothing maybe left to offer, no, no real upside left in their game. And then a bunch of young guys who really, there is some young, exciting talent on the roster, but they're not going to get those prime opportunities every time you've got that Hainsey, Connor Brown, Artem and e. out there. And so, you know, managing this roster and getting the most out of the young players, the real hope for the future is the challenge. And then I'm just not sure if this is the coach that, you know, knowing these players, many of them former Leafs like he does, is he the one who's going to turn over the reins to the younger players? Or are we going to see a bunch of old Leafs out there for the Sens this year? And that'll be a real difficult thing, I think, to watch night in and night out for Sens fans.
0: Yeah, you just reminded me that uh, DJ Smith had come over from, from Toronto and, and take the uh, the helm there behind the bench. Speaking of another challenge for DJ Smith, you know, I you never say never, but Greg Anderson, is this, is this, are we like the last hurrah here? Or you think maybe he sticks around for another season or two, or, I mean, given the way things currently are in the state of the, state of the club? Right.
1: I think that the Sens are kind of in a position where who else are you turning the minutes over to anyway? When I was doing my season's projections, I did it sort of from a, a war point of view where I tried to project forward every player's war score, move them into the rosters where I, saw them sitting using roster depth charts from cap friendly for the most part, and then projected their point totals out from there. So, you know, it's just one way to do it. There's lots of other ways that it could be done reasonably. But relating it back to Craig Anderson, I had him at the top end as a replacement level goaltender at his age. And that's like the best case scenario from what I could could sort of juice out of it working with what we have. But I think, you know, at his age too, it wouldn't be crazy how old he's 38 right so at his age the cliff comes you know tomorrow night if it's kind of, like it's it's the kind of thing where he's going to become unplayable any moment and then you're looking at anders nielsen as your starter then you're digging down into your minors looking for the next guy up and it's not a deep depth chart for players who could skate in the nhl so i see Anderson you know, being phased out this year, Nielsen having to take over this job and play probably half of the, the schedule, maybe he even winds up in the upper 40s for games this year. And that's actually not a bad situation for the Senators because I, I see Craig Anderson as an asset that's, you know, played himself out and he's been great in the community and, and all sorts of things about Craig Anderson, the person, are things that fans have rallied around and cheered for his family and he's been, you know, good in the community. But ultimately, his time on NHL ice is is over, and and so you know you turn it over to Anders Nielsen, and in a rebuilding year, that's fine. But then you're really looking at your pipeline. Who's that goalie that's going to be ready in three or four years when this team is you know a playoff team again? They hope.
0: Well, in the short term, what what do you think is the best? I mean, yet like you said, you you have Nielsen there, but maybe looking ahead to next season, maybe what's their best course for maybe a short term stopgap? that maybe if you can get some league league average goaltending out of and maybe hope that there's a, a progression with the, in, on the defense and, and with the forwards, the young guys, and maybe that b- leads to some additional winning and some positive momentum. Is that about the, the best outcome that you're maybe expecting?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was watching uh, the Leafs play the Red Wings last night, and so we got treated to Elliot Friedman doing a kind of junior version of the headlines and he mentioned that it looked like Tristan Jerry and Eric Comrie might be a couple of goalie names that wind up, you know, available, trying to be passed down to the minors. And I'm not sure where that process is at. But um, for a team like the Senators, when you're looking at the the depth chart that they have, maybe somebody like an Eric Comrie who doesn't have room in uh, Winnipeg anymore, a prospect who had, you know, some uh, some marquee at, at some point or even Tristan Jerry, who's got a little bit of NHL uh, under his belt, too if you're splitting starts between Nielsen and and somebody like that, who might have a little bit of upside, you know, then you've got your fingers crossed that, you know, maybe you catch some lightning in a bottle, you win a few extra games and it's exciting for fans or, or you find a goalie that maybe becomes part of your long-term solution. But, you know, every game Craig Anderson plays, is just, you know, it's a a complete stop gap and maybe a total catastrophe too. And ultimately honors Nielsen isn't the goalie that's in net when this team is competing again, either. So you're looking past that to any waiver claim you can make or, or any trade for a third or fourth goalie in a system because that's where this team is is going to be They're not going to be competitive for three or four years. And so who's that goalie that's in the net then? And and I don't think that player maybe is on the roster right now.
0: You know, we've kind of had a little bit of uh, of gloom and doom or or, or whatever you want to call it. Let's talk about some silver linings with this franchise. (laughs) Right off the bat, I mean, I'm sure there's some PR aspect to this, but also, you you know, uh, these are two players that I'm sure the Senators were very eager to lock up, and maybe, you know, some excitement, this foundation that's being built around, certainly the, the first contract that was announced was Colin White. I think he got six years and about 4.75 mil, uh, the cap charge. And then, of course, the big news, the, the biggest news, I think he goes by, was it Hotsam Bacho in, up there in those parts? <laughs> not, not, not <laughs> Thomas up right? Eight-year, eight eight-million eight extension. That's that's a lot of money for Eugene Melnick. That's good news, not a one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of, it's a little out of character for this team, the way things have gone the past few seasons, to see them make the financial commitment to a couple of young players, uh, long-term deals, and, and spending some money, especially for, for Shabbat, where it looks like, you know, they're, they're finally willing to kind of commit to some core pieces of this roster, finally. Colin White, you know, when I was doing my preseason predictions I had him projected to be a positive player maybe worth one one and a half war over the course of the season that makes him a middle six kind of impact player but he's still only 22 years old and so you know we know forwards don't peak until that sort of age 24 season he's still got a little bit of upside left in this player is he ultimately maybe a second liner like a, a decent maybe even good second liner in the nhl probably I, i'm not sure that i see more than that in the stats profile so far but He's definitely a player that at that cost, with that kind of cost, certainly over time, it's a, a really encouraging move. I think the Thomas Shabbat one is the, the big one and, and that got a lot of media buzz and you know the, the video released by the social media team had a lot of buzz going. I think Elliot Friedman retweeted it and it really buzzed around for a while. It got mentioned in 31 thoughts as well, I think. And Thomas Shabbat, I have him projected this season already to be top pairing quality guy and then a positive in that role. So that makes him sort of a top 30 NHL defenseman already. I don't think that's unrealistic to see him get to that level as soon as this season and be productive there. And so, you know, for a team that's still, to some extent, mourning the loss of Eric Carlson, who's basically, you know, king of the general Ottawa area, Thomas Shabbat is kind of that next, the heir apparent and getting into any kind of mess with a contract with him, that could have been a super alienating move. Uh, with the fan base here, but they did the opposite, which is, you know, got him at the price that will really work in the long run, as long as he develops the way it looks like he will. And it's just a real positive message. So, you know, for a team that hasn't had much good news in a couple of years, the Colin White and then especially the Shabbat signings, they kind of signal that maybe this team is ready to finally commit some money to some of the pieces they see as the core. You know, so then it's kind of like you're looking at Brady Kachuk and you're wondering, you know, I don't know if an Anthony Declair winds up being somebody who sticks around a little bit here. Drake Batherson's had a lot of buzz, too. But there are some young pieces here. And if the Senators are willing to spend to lock some of these guys up, you could see the new core kind of taking some shape. And, and that's exciting for a team that's had nothing but bad for almost two
0: full seasons. Well, you mentioned Brady Kachuk. And, you know, he had – really, I, I was – a little, a little bit of a better uh, first year than I was expecting. I think he hit twenty. Correct me if I'm wrong. He hit twenty, over twenty goals, and I think twenty plus assists for a, for a club that struggled. I, I you know, he got a good share of minutes, and I thought he, I thought he showed very well. Do you see him having a, you know, avoiding the proverbial sophomore slump? Is this a player that's poised to take the next leap?
1: Well, I, so I'll start my answer with this one by saying. I was at the Rochester, uh, no, sorry, the Ottawa Hockey Analytics Conference just after Kachuk was drafted before he played at all last year. So we were looking ahead at this uh, young player that looked like he might have a chance to make the NHL. And the overwhelming sort of impression that people had of this player was that, you know, based on his body type, based on the length of season he had been playing, you know, not coming out of the OHL. So based on, you know, some of the priors that we had, that this wasn't a player that was going to be able to handle a full NHL season, that it wasn't a wise choice. Then he went out and posted, uh, I'm just sort of digging this up as we go. He had almost seven goals above replacement in value. So that's just a little bit over one war based on evolving wild war score. So, you know, for a first season, for a player that hadn't played anything like that kind of a schedule before, it's really super encouraging. And so, you know, the first part of my answer is I was dead wrong going into what I expected from him last year, which was, I thought this would be a player that physically was overmatched in the NHL. And he was quite the opposite. He was a pain in the ass, you know, and he posted positive offensive results. The under the hood stats looked really good. And so I'm willing to be wrong again on this player to say that, you know, he established himself well, he outperformed, you know, I think what was reasonable expectations for him. And so, you know, in a prime role, which is all his on this team right now, I've got him slotted in as their First line left wing going into the season. I think that's reasonable. You know, I don't anticipate sophomore slump for him. I think this is a player that defied expectations a bit last year, so I'm willing now Why to not? be wrong on yeah. the other side. Exactly. I, I'd rather him
0: underperform and be wrong that way now. So you know, I have positive expectations for him going into this year too. Well, that's the uh, the next big test, I guess. Also for the ownership is like I think you were you're bringing up they can get him, they can get him signed, send another strong signal, you know, to the fan base. And then you, you know you mentioned earlier Brandstrom's name. You know I, I know I know last year a lot of attention was paid to Miro Heiskanen and uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a, a blank the for Raptor the moment. Dallin Dallin a Dalen, yeah, 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 Dallin, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy in Buffalo, you know, <laughs> yeah, one of the uh, yeah, yeah. So I Brandstrom, but he was highly regarded in his draft year. And again, once that deal was made, people, you know, I remember looking around and people saying, oh. Don't sleep on this kid. That's an exciting piece to be bringing into the puzzle.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, again, he was the centerpiece in the Mark Stone deal. And so the first thing you have to do is say, okay, forget that it was Mark Stone that left because he's gone and you can't recoup that. And so did the Senators get enough in that trade? I would still argue no. But just evaluating the player on his own merits, which is all that's fair to do at this point, you know, he had... 32 points in 50 games, I think it was, in the AHL last year between the couple of teams, you know, which at his age is really promising. He's just 20 years old still. It looks like he's, you know, going to make this roster or maybe uh, stick around, hang on to a bottom pairing role. If that's the case, I have him projected as about a replacement level defenseman this year, maybe just sort of hanging around just over zero war, which in the end for a defenseman at his age isn't the end of the world and you know he might still this is the kind of player who if he hits the escalator and starts to develop quickly you know all of a sudden he's outperforming expectations as he moves and that that's reasonable at his age so i i think like you said shabbat's a positive signal colin white's a positive signal now you're sort of looking at that next wave or chuck and branstrom maybe the other two and the sort of core four that they build around Branstrom very realistically is that second defenseman in that group that they start to lean on and there really isn't anybody else in his way. Like looking at the depth chart, you've got uh, Borowiczki and Zaitsev and Hamesy and Dylan DeMello. And, you know, you're looking at all sorts of players that aren't here when this team is competing realistically, except for Zaitsev, right. who's going to be with them forever. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, Bransom's underlying stuff is promising. I see him as no worse than replacement level going into the year. He's young. You just hope that he gets some run in the NHL and they let him be creative because ultimately and this is a an offensive player, going to have defensive shortcomings. And so you just hope they give him some room to run and maybe give him some second power play duty and, and let him sort of flash his stuff.
0: But he's a player I'm high on going into the year. The supporting cast, you know, there's got some players that have already made their debuts with the Senators, but I, I believe, I, I think I saw earlier today, there was some news about, was it Philippa, and I'm going to just pronounce his name, schlopic Is that close? Yep there was some buzz around him and, and I believe he made the team at least coming out of camp. That's right. And then, um, so
1: he was one, the sort of disappointing news is it looked like Brown was going down today. And Logan Brown is a guy that you'd like to see probably stick at this point. And then the, the other one I think we touched on earlier too, is again, if you're looking at kind of that next rung of players that are going to be the sort of next wave for this team is Batherson, who we touched on earlier, and all of the stuff, and, and I can't go super super far into prospect data with him, but you know Batherson's work is really promising. He he projects really well, and he's in that sweet spot. He's 21, and so you know that players that sort of phase is really important as they ramp up to their peak years at 24. So he's a player again where you're just hoping a rebuilding team has some freedom of roster construction that other rosters don't. Right now, using the cat-friendly depth charts, I've got him as their fourth line center. That would be kind of a nightmare scenario, I think, for a mm-hmm. player of his offensive ability. Uh, you'd love to see him get second line center role as long as he can sort of handle those minutes or get those mm-hmm. minutes most nights and play a fourth line, you know, when you got back to backs or two and three or whatever kind of situation. But I think he's a super potentially impactful offensive player too. And so, you know, the Senators have some of this freedom to give these guys prime minutes and see what they've really got while they're kind of, you know, identifying the core and then that next rung of surrounding supporting people. So Mathis is definitely the one I'm most excited about out of that next rung. And then maybe, maybe Logan Brown, but it looks like he's going to be right. you know, first line center in the AHL this year. So we might not see him for a little
0: while. Well, you brought up his name earlier, Anthony Duclair in a contract year. He's going to be motivated and came over from, from Columbus and apparently has had himself a fine preseason, a player that maybe, earn himself another contract and and really maybe cement himself in the league here for the next few years, uh, again, with a club that's going to presumably have plenty of minutes to give him. All right. And, and
1: again, you're looking, you know, he had that beautiful um, shorthanding goal last night, I think it was, where he sort of harassed the defense and broke in on his own made a nice move. And so, you know, he's a player who showed well just, you know, for focusing completely on ice because there's some weird off-ice, off-ice stuff with him. Uh, last year as it went on two but on ice you know had a positive impact at times last year he's only 24 years old he's his contract is really cheap and he's in line to get some prime minutes again if he can kind of earn them the way I've got the depth chart projected right now I've got him as the third line left wing but that doesn't there's not a lot ahead of him and it's a super fluid situation I think for the centers at left wing after Brady could chuck it could kind of go you know 10 different ways and if Duclair winds up at that second line left wing role and gets some power play minutes, he's the kind of player that, at his age, it wouldn't be weird to see him kind of have a really positive season. And then maybe he's somebody who sends the side, you know, he's willing to stick around here and maybe play for a little less than he might get on the open market. And then he's somebody you can kind of start to pad that second layer of your team with. But ultimately, I think somebody like Duclair is maybe a problem for a team like the Senators, where is he going to be? Useful player when the team's ready to compete. Are they ready in three years by the time he's maybe 27? It's possible. But what is he worth at that point if he does have Mm -hmm. a good season for them? Does he price himself out of the market? So, you know, it's a good place for Declare, I think, to be right Mm -hmm. now. because There's opportunity to be be had and and sort of rehab his on-ice value. But uh, whether or not he winds up being a solution for the Senators
0: in the long run, I'm not sure. Good point. Uh, Maybe as a sort of a stopgap several years. That might work better than obviously throwing a long-term contract his way. Um, the other, I guess, thing that really kind of jumps out to me is with a longer-term perspective on this club turning around. The the Ottawa Senators have a lot of darts to throw at the uh, at the wall, right? When it comes to, especially when it comes to draft picks, I think I I looked up that there's 20 selections and over the next two drafts, three in the first round and and uh, also three in the second round. So. I mean, you know, it's an inexact science, and, and obviously, there's been a lot of work done in the community. We know it's easy to miss, but it's good to have ammo, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so, my favorite couple of things I've done with this or dug around with um, I created a chart for Michael Shuckers' draft pick value. And it's something, it's just really interesting to look at how quickly the expected value of picks drops off in the first round. And so if you have a pick in the top 20, you've got something really valuable. If it's something in the top three, you know, obviously you're expecting an NHL player right away. And then you kind of go down, down, down the tiers really quick. Then by the time you get to about 24th overall, there isn't much difference between the 24th overall in the first round, middle of the second round, middle of the third round. You're not looking at much difference in expected value from there all the way to the end of the draft. And so what ex- when I look at the, the Senators or what excites me for Sen's fans is they've got a couple of firsts this year, and those are the really prime ones. Anytime you can add a couple of first-round bullets to your arsenal to, to throw away with, um, that's a good thing. They've got lots of darts in the second, so that's good. they got three coming up in the second round this year, three in next year's second round, two. And then, you know, just a pick in every round after that, a couple in the sixth. So, like you said, the only safe strategy, if you don't have a top three pick in the draft, is to have lots of picks, and the Senators have that. And so the the challenge for them is going to be What do their scouts do with these picks? The centers aren't renowned for having a real global scouting presence. They are in at all levels of the organization, and that includes international scouting. And sometimes they kind of get hung up drafting in certain areas because that's where they have intel, rather than that's where the best players are. And so, you know, they've got all the bullets that you could want. So, what do they do with them now? And hopefully, they work with scouting or, or look for other ways of tapping into prospect knowledge so that they don't blow it because it's real easy to go over with your picks in a year two, especially if you're not aware of all the, the players that are out there. So th- there's a challenge ahead, but at least they've got
0: the picks to go ahead and try to not fail with. Right. And then, well, the pipeline, I mean, obviously we know there's, there's the, you might say the first rung when it comes to the, the prospects, but there's other talent that's in the, uh, the pipeline as well. I, you mentioned Logan Brown, Brown going back down. Getting some seasoning, you know, being maybe prepped for a bigger role over the long haul uh, in the AHL. But again, some of those pieces that were acquired via trades, what was it, Rudolph uh, Balsares from uh, the Carlson deal? It seemed like he was a pleasant surprise last season, if I recall correctly. I I, I know he hasn't signed yet, but Jacob Bernard Docker, but he's in the NCAA currently. Alex Formanton and, and Josh Norris, again, another piece that comes out of that, that uh, Carlson deal. And even, of course, the first rounder from this summer, Lassie Thompson. So, I mean, there's there's these other pieces that, again, we'll see how they shake out. But it helps to have them in the uh, in the organization and, and yet to uh, see how they develop. Yeah, and, and just sort of, you know, in some broad
1: strokes on that list, you know, Balsers is somebody who he was about a break even, just a slightly negative war score last year. But I haven't projected you know to play meaningful minutes with the NHL roster this year and he's twenty two. and so it's the kind of guy again in this sort of situation, you take a chance on and give him some minutes and see what you really have. I don't love uh, you know some of the picks, but it's something uh, you know I, I I have to watch up our I go with a commentary on you know specifics, sure. but all I would say in general is it's super tricky science, and you only expect one out of every five draft picks to even get to one hundred NHL games. And so the best strategy you can have is have a lot of these guys. And so when I look at that list of players that you mentioned, you know, who's it going to be that comes out of there? I'm not sure, but there's enough of them around that one of them is going to. Just sort of statistically, we expect someone here is going to be an NHLer. And so it's just a matter of compiling enough of those players and then giving giving them legitimate opportunities and not skating all sorts of Ron Hainsey, Nikita Zaitsev in those minutes and then never finding out if you actually had something there. So I think the challenge for the Senators is going to be you know, you've got some of these people there, and and it's tough to tell who's who until they get to play. So give them some minutes and and see who you've really got here. That'll be the challenge.
0: It is. Uh, I know for for fans up there, this is it's tough, but like you, you you pointed out earlier, in a way, it's it's kind of bringing the community together around the uh, the players. You know, uh, around the organization, uh, even if if all is not necessarily uh, uh, well at the uh, at the top level, but. I I, kind of wanted to close here. Just what are your expectations for this season? And obviously, I mean, I think with the Sens, we have to have a longer-term trajectory in mind too. Right. So I agree. I think the
1: only fair way to go into this season is to say this is about the long-term, not about any results you see this year at a team level. When I did my season-long projections, I had them finishing ahead of only the Kings, so finishing in 30th overall with about uh, between 68 and 70 standings points. So, you know, that's not a season you'd consider a success by any means at the team level. That's that's poor. Um, It would set the Senators up to be at sort of the top end of the draft for next year. And that's a good thing for a team in this mode. And then again, you, you sort of brought me back to it. But the point that I'm really hung up on for this team going into the year is that this season's going to be a mess. There's a couple of, People that are going to play big minutes that shouldn't. Zaitsev and Hainsey are a couple. You know, maybe even Tajo or Connor Brown or you know Chris Tierney. Hate to you know hate on my namesake or you know some of these played Bobby Ryan. Has still got a top six role probably with this team. There's a lot of players there that the upside isn't there anymore. They're not going to be here when this team is competitive. And so, what do you expect out of DJ Smith coming into this team? Does he identify core pieces for the future? give them minutes, trust them with responsibility, let them learn, let them grow. Do we see that kind of developmental aspect from him? We met his reputation coming from Toronto isn't fantastic for the role that he played, you know, with the responsibilities that he had with the Leafs. But, uh, you know, anytime you're not the head coach, it's not your own, it's not your own system that you're running. And so I'm prepared to give him a clean slate and a fresh start and see what he does with this group. But if he doesn't prioritize giving youth minutes in key roles here, it's a real waste of the opportunity because the season itself is going to be a tank, like it or not, but there's a chance to create excitement by letting the young players become the stars here. And so that's the hope, I think, you hope that these young guys uh, get the chance to star in this
0: town. I think the, the city's ready to get behind them if they do. Well, I'm certainly, uh, from afar, I am interested in seeing if some of these developments uh, come to fruition. Sean, I thank you very much for your time. This has been a wonderful, wonderful chat. And, again, I, I'm very excited for you on your new journey this year uh, with the, uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs. And also, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some of that content you're going to be putting out for TSN. And, of course, uh, also I, I really look forward to seeing that website of yours that's uh, right around the corner.
1: Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. And as always, excited to see uh, how you and your team roll through this year, too. It's been a bit of a terror watching uh, the lightning. <laughs> Rip through the Eastern Conference, but uh, I hope you get further than the first round this year. I'll make fingers crossed for
0: you. Let's, let's hope so. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Sean, so much for uh, joining me tonight. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you want to get in on the app, you can visit www.anchor.fm slash nets dash and dash bolts to leave a voice message with your take or question or just send a me. And if you really like the show, please consider subscribing to and sharing it if you haven't already. Adios.